one problem I think is, yeah, that as soon as Napster happened, it was the real watershed moment of when me, how this was going to change, how the game was going to change. Uh, and then, of course, iTunes and Spotify. So now people are flicking through. They're not buying records anymore. They're not queuing up for albums. I can remember queuing up for albums. Uh, it's like everything in society. There's fast, instant gratification of what's next, what's next, what's next. That's going to have a detrimental effect on how bands... Who, are, who don't have a lot of money or a lot of clout that have been around for a long time, that's going to have an impact on how they record and release music. They're going to do it in a more um, hasty manner and they're going to be influenced by elements of the music industry, which is we want something new, we want it now. Welcome to the New Flesh Podcast, the podcast you deserve. My name is Ricky Allpike and joining me once again is the rock star himself, Jonathan Astro. Thanks very much. Uh, are you a rock man? <laughs> I think it's a rock art man, and uh, I'll go look. Both. Just, yeah, yeah, I like rock and the other thing too. Absolutely, Ricky, you know that. I wanna, I'm trying to resurrect the rock and roll spirit somehow. Yeah. Uh, but a great uh, discussion tonight with a man who likes a bit of rock and roll. His name's Nick Holt, and you know people just heard some of his words over over your music, uh, uh, one of your tracks, and perfectly scored can i say i feel like i want you to score the rest of our discussion like a philip glass <laughs> track a driving philip glass uh, glass track because you know we cover some big topics here and and i think it all comes together mm. okay I'll, I'll 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 get to work thanks we always tell you the truth here on the new flesh podcast and the truth is we need your help we need you to leave us a rating or review wherever you listen to the show we're also on youtube so please subscribe to our youtube channel and leave a comment about an episode you like or maybe one you didn't like so much and please tell your friends about the show uh if they don't like what they hear are they really your friends no dump them on with the show Nick Holt started as a music and culture journalist and has interviewed some serious artists, including Oasis, Moby and Cypress Hill, and hopefully he'll spill the tea on some of that. He is the host of the Nick Holt podcast and the editor-in-chief of the Modern Inquirer, an independent news media organization based on Substack. Nick, welcome to the new flesh. Oh, thanks very much for having me. It's great to be on, on your show. I'm a, I'm a fan of what you guys are doing. Oh, thank you very much. Well, uh, Nick, can you tell us about your background? Is, is music journalism where it all began? Yeah, I mean, music is where it began. I've been a musician since, you know, since I could um, almost walk and talk. We had music in the household. My mum was a pianist and I, uh, I started off playing br uh, brass at a very early age and gave that up pretty quickly to move into other instruments. At the end of high school, I, I didn't go to university after high school. I, I played in bands and, and worked variously around the Brisbane music scene. Uh, and I studied uh, sound design and sound engineering at the School of uh, Audio Engineering here, here in Brisbane. They've got them all around the world. And that led me to Melbourne in 2008, uh, where I, I sort of started working in studios, but I didn't have the, the temperament or the, the finesse for detail to be an engineer, and that didn't really interest me. Um, and really fortuitously, I, I got offered a, a, a gig as a, a session keyboard player with... Um, I don't know if you're familiar with this band, but they were kind of a late 90s, early 2000s Melbourne band called Dolores, um, who were pretty popular in the sort of Triple J scene and all that. And I got to know the the guy who started that, who's a fellow called Marcus Teague. Um, some of your listeners are probably, especially Melbourne listeners, are probably familiar with a website called The Vine. So The Vine was launched in 2008 as... Uh, 
the ages, so Fairfax's Fairfax Digital's arm to target the 18 to sort of 30 mark, 18 to late 20s, and it was music, fashion and culture. And Marcus, who was in that band, I played in a, a different band of his, which was called Single Twin, uh, which I highly recommend um, listening to if you like kind of DIY folk music, some beautiful stuff. I got to know him and, and just basically said, you know, writing's always been something I'm interested in. Can you give me a gig? Um, and he said, here's two tickets to, here's a ticket to Kings of Leon uh, playing at Rod Laver. Write me a review and if it's any good, I'll give you a job. I guess it passed the test. Um so it was almost an almost, it was kind of like an almost famous <laughs> yeah. sort of scenario. Um, and that, that just really launched my writing career from there. Uh, so, you know, music journalism is very different from, say, hard news journalism. You're, you're not necessarily lo- looking to uncover corruption and whatnot. <laughs> I was always more interested in, in interviewing. That was my, that's what I honed my focus on and made sure that I went. Um, I made it known to my editor that that's what I wanted to do. Uh, so yeah, in many ways, it was the beginning of this style of writing. Well, perhaps you could, you know, give, give us an insight into since we're on music. Let's talk, you know, around about that time, you know, who we who, who 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 are your favorite artists when you think about music? Who are you drawn to? Oh, look, I, I listen to almost any music from any genre if the song's good. Um, just before you guys, I hooked up with you guys tonight. I was listening to Dilated Peoples. I like I like hip hop. I like a lot of hip hop. Uh, I like a lot of jazz. I like a lot of punk. Uh, I like a lot of. I like some classical. I, I wouldn't say I'm a. I'm an aficionado. I like Chopin a lot. Uh, but it's a difficult question to. Uh, I mean, I don't know if you guys are the same, but a, a good tune is a good tune, right? Hmm. Sure. Yeah. There, there are definitely genres that that, that I'm more drawn to, uh, particularly jazz and classical music. Um, and and the past few years, I've actually been getting into uh, Balinese gamelan music. Which is a bit strange, but um, what's that? Uh, that's uh, sort of the traditional music of Bali, which uh, w- which I sort of got into uh, via some composers. I'm 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 quite interested in like St- uh, Steve Reich and Philip Glass, who sort of studied mm. that music. Uh, it's 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 very fast. It's very intense. It's very rhythmic. Uh, lots of interlocking uh, musical patterns uh, between instruments in in, in Bali. Uh, which is quite, and the instruments look like some look like the sets in uh, Big Trouble in Little China. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you got to send me some of this. <laughs> that definitely, sounds epic. Definitely. Yeah, I like instrumental stuff. Like I listen to a lot of instrumental. Um, I like I like jam music. Uh, when I play music now with my friends, it's you know our, our songs go for like seventeen minutes to sometimes half an hour, where we're just we're jamming. Um, that's my favourite way to play music. Um, I really like pop music, but the interesting thing with pop music is it's, I actually think it's one of the hardest, if not the hardest genre to nail because it's been done for so long now. I mean, Mm. if we think about probably the greatest pop band was the Beatles, right? Mm. But also complete musical geniuses Mm. spanning dozens of other genres at the same time, yet it's popular music. Uh, So when I hear a song come out, for example, that uh, Macklemore, uh, Macklemore Lewis song, Downtown. You know that song? Downtown, if you ain't got no beef, boy. I've heard it, yeah. It was huge. It was huge. So I look at a song like that as a kind of a pop piece of art that can be experienced briefly, but 
it's like bubble gum, you know, the flavour goes out of it quite quickly. Mm. Well, but pop, it, pop yeah. is very hard because it, it, it does have very narrow parameters that you can work, work in, you know. I mean, in terms of length, it, uh, quite often in terms of, you know, time signature, you know, the, 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 the sort of type of pulse that you can have, um, you know, it, it, it's very narrow, whereas other musical styles, you've got a little bit more room room to move so so I, I agree with you it is it is very hard to to nail pop music and and to do something uh, that 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 is original absolutely yeah. uh, I mean I think the greatest pop song ever written is hey Jude simply for the outro right mm. <laughs> that that hook you could play that hook for 20 minutes and not get sick of it yeah. uh, other examples of complex pop music is the Beach Boys yeah pet sounds yeah. oh what an incredible record so you know, it, it's I'm probably like like you guys. I, I have stuff that I is my staple that I listen to a lot. A lot of that is um, kind of '90s hip hop. Um, that seems to do something to my uh, vibrations in a positive way. Um, I'm not too big into rap. I don't like a lot of the modern rap, to be to be honest. The mumble. Um, you don't you don't like Gucci Gang? <laughs> nah, I, I, you know they've got that kind of. I want to take you to this town. Now we're going to go with a ditter. They get that kind of real sharp. <laughs> yeah, it's it's. Whereas you know, like um, it sounds like someone having a seizure. It does. It's yeah. not boom bap. It's not. It's not. It's not DJ Premier, which is what what uh, oh, all yeah, nice. marooned millennials like myself love. We just go, man. Where's the boom bap? You know, give me that boom bap. That's all I care about. I don't care about all this 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 motorsport nonsense. Yeah, and it's gone very. Uh, I mean, I. Uh, this term's probably a little bit loose and overused, but it's whereas early hip hop was in many ways biographical of of it painted a very amazing picture of the reality of these uh, these ghettos and these gangs that were taking place, and these guys were um, they were lyricists in a on a different level in terms of their poetry. And now it seems to be very kind of satanic which is a word I don't like to use too much because it gets, you know, it's, it's a little bit broad, but it's, it's, it's distasteful. Well, I think this is going to be a theme that comes up throughout our discussion because we're t- talking about artists, we're talking about music and changes in the culture perhaps. I mean, you, 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 you've released a parody song, which, which I have uh, watched a couple of times. That's your, your Friends or Rom mm. uh, uh, song. And um, perhaps you could, talk us through that in a second but uh, the, the question i think that's going to come out is you know um that musicians and artists have revealed themselves of late to be i'm going to say stooges you know what i mean particularly people mm. from from uh who've had previous careers and you know i'm thinking about their stances on the pandemic and trump and gender woo and 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 whatever so t- t- tell us about your song and 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 what uh and about um those issues yeah so it's a it's a it's a cover i mean it's a it's a um parody of friends or roms never had so much fun for starters um which i, I was actually unaware that friends or rom as individuals was so um rabidly uh sycophantic towards big government you know like it's the last <laughs> band i would have thought when are I saw them, when I was, aren't they all suckling on the teat of the ABC now? Those guys, uh, Lindsay certainly is. He's been doing that for a while, but yeah. I think it's a real affront to their their fans. Like, uh, for, if you go to a Friends or Rom gig, there's no um, there's no woke people at that. So, 
initially, I, I, I mean, I don't. I can still go and listen to like I'll still listen to friends. I don't let this sort of stuff bother me. Um, I, I make a fairly clear delineation between the music and the the the, uh, the maturation of the individual. Um, so in this case, you know, it, it really just started off with as the song and goes. The original is um, one of the great opening lines is. Uh, I smoked a pack of cigarettes before midday, coughed up a lung around one, and now I can't see a thing because my eyes that sting. I can't remember feelings, having so much fun. So the lyric, the words just pop, the line just popped into my head one day of of uh, Grace Tame and, and Brittany Higgins, which is um, Grace smoked a bong and then she lectured the nation. Brittany got three million bucks. <laughs> I can't see a thing because of this woke fucking thing. I can't remember feeling so damn numb. Grace smoked a bong and then she lectured the nation. Britney got three million bucks. But I can't say a thing because of this woke fucking thing. I can't remember feeling so damn numb. Well, I've never felt so damn numb. No, I've never felt so damn numb. I can't remember when I've ever felt so damn numb You can't make a joke about trans folk Can't make a joke about chicks But you can make a joke about evangelists And everyone will think you're the shit I've never felt so damn numb No, I've never felt so damn numb I can't remember when I've ever felt so damn numb And I thought, you know, I've been compiling all this stuff in the last two years of, of just madness and what really is quite serious stuff. And COVID affected me because uh, as, as it did many people, it affected me um, in a kind of a, a almost a lightly traumatic way in terms of being gaslit so hard by essentially the entire global medical community, our own government. So I wanted to try and release myself of that and, and start to kind of play play around with it and have some fun and and I think that the main purpose of this song and for future songs is that I think that people need to, in some way, find a way to, to release themselves of the burden of feeling so much hatred for what these people did. That's not to say to forget it, uh, but to find a way to, to laugh again and to, and to mock these people in a, in a satirical way that the chaser used to do when they were very good years ago. Mm. Because uh, I think that's what's missing. These people have, have really robbed us of humour and I notice it broadly across... I mean, you certainly notice... I don't know if Twitter ever did have any humour, but uh, in real life I, I see it, you know, and it dawned on me that Australians aren't laughing really at themselves, that's for sure, and we're not mocking our government effectively in an artistic and creative way. So the idea of this song is that we're, we're all feeling a bit numb from what's happened. Uh, some of us have never felt so numb. And there's a reason for that, but I think the antidote to numbness is is humour. Sure. I, I mean, I certainly feel, I mean, you know, since you brought up the pandemic, we might as well just briefly talk about it. Uh, do you feel like, Ricky and I were both in Melbourne for yeah. the the uh, the bad old days mm. and of, of our six lockdowns or five lockdowns or so, and do, do you feel like that you're a different person after after the whole experience? Absolutely, yeah. And, and this is what I'm sort of getting at. I, I don't want that to def I don't want that to be the case. I don't want that to define me. I think there's a genuine 
there's a genuine argument here that people who saw this as t- tyranny uh, have a level of, of PTSD. I think mm. that that's pretty obvious. I mean, we're going to start to see scientific literature come out on this prolifically in the next decade. Uh, I mean, how could you not have PTSD? Those lockdowns were the cruelest and most tyrannical, probably, you know, arguably, that's ever happened to the human race. It's a very dark, mechanical thing, that hand coming down, locking you down, you know, the, 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 me- the mechanical hand of, of this ideology that people are trying to work out what it is. It was very cruel, denying people the right to visit their, their dying relatives. That's what really got me going. Uh, these people who we already knew were complete morons, like these state premiers, standing in front of the cameras, lying every single day. Uh, it was a globalist. It was a, it was an assault on 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 truth, and it was an assault on on love. And I think that everyone has a, a genuine right to feel like that's changed them. But of course, we, we what do we do? Do we do we remain with that? Do we harbour that resentment for the rest of our life? Will that get us anywhere? I argue it won't. Um, and I'm basically, you know, I've been able to, to release myself from that anger because it did change me. And were you surprised at, at, at how easily large sections of the Australian population just, just went, went along with this, you know, just bought it hook, line and sinker? I mean, I, I was surprised at just the, the, the lack of empathy that, that I experienced from people in Melbourne, you know, I mean, you just heard the, the, the most awful things about, you know, people would say things about anti-vaxxers and, you know, it was just so toxic and disgusting and, 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 and yet just no empathy whatsoever. And I'm just so surprised that, that not more Australians stood up for themselves, you know. Yeah, I mean, I was, I was, I was probably more surprised and rattled by the people in my, uh, certain people in my immediate life. Fortunately, the majority of my friends who I've had many many of my friends I've had since um, since primary school you know it's a 20 plus year relationship they were kind of all on board with this with me and we all had the same sort of opinion on this so that was very I was very fortunate to have that group but in other cases in different circles of family and, and, and friends uh, it, it was it was extraordinarily confronting um, However, as I said from the very beginning of this in 2020, around February, um, you know, I went on the record very early on saying that what was taking place in Wuhan, this is just, this is nonsense. You know, people don't collapse in streets. People don't, why are they welding Chinese people into their apartments? You know, there's doctors walking around the streets with semi-automatic weapons and, and hazmat suits, you know. So, so uh, one thing I've been uh, studying and, and researching for a very long time now is the effect of global media narratives on uh, whipping the public into a unanimous opinion on something that is very irrational. Uh, I first started to notice this with the mass shootings in America. Uh, and it wasn't until people started to talk about the concept of mass formation, which was initially coined by Charles Mackay in The Madness of Crowds. Um, He wrote a book about, in in the late 1800s, about how throughout various periods in history, uh, 
societies have been whipped up into a, you know, an irrational mob due to financial crisis and, and financial opportunities. So people going crazy over stocks that they were guaranteed to be, everyone was going to turn into a wealthy individual on stocks that were sort of based off off lies. One of this is the Louisiana Shipping Company in France. You know, it's a very good case study for mass formation psychosis. I don't quite agree with the term psychosis, but mass formation. So, you know, to answer your question, was I surprised? Um, absolutely. And, and I couldn't quite, I think what was quite, what was the most challenging part was not being able to find uh, the language to express why I felt that way. Uh, because it was all, there was just so much irrationality taking place. So many bad aspects of human nature were coming out. I, I knew why this was happening in terms of the fact that both the media and the government were creating that, that fear and that hysteria. And the reality of it is that when people saw those images coming out of Wuhan, they didn't, they weren't able to see it like I saw it. Uh, they, they were just hit like a, like a tidal wave and fear kicked in. And I think what you'll find is that all the bad behavior and all the, uh, all the, the immoral behavior of Australian citizens was being driven by, by fear. They were genuinely afraid for their own lives, I think. Mm. It's, it's, it's interesting though, like I, and I've spoken to a lot of people sort of around in my circle and, and I don't think, well, personally, I don't know anyone who has died of COVID and no one in my circle knows anyone who has died of COVID. And although I do know two people who have had uh, vaccine injuries, which is which is another thing that that is is it seems to be you know sort of there's a shroud over that as well. Like you know the media sort of has thrown a blanket over that that you know that, that it's sticky, it's poking out at the edges, but they just don't want to really address it that much, you know. And also recently, I was I was reading that. Uh, well, not that recently, a few months ago, that, that there's, a, there's been a 12% increase in excess, excess deaths in Australia uh, in 2022. Um, and, you know, without a thorough inquiry, it's, it's hard to pinpoint why that is. But, you know, if you were a betting man, you'd probably put your money on the delayed effects of prolonged COVID lockdowns in Australia, you know. Um, Correct. So, you know, I think we're starting to see those cracks in the in the in the COVID narrative. But, you know, do, do you think we'll see a, a, a major public debate over Australia's pandemic response any, anytime soon? Uh, I mean, how do you envisage that debate? What, who are the participants of this debate? I'm not sure. I think I think someone big has got to come out. You know, that some. Some of this stuff has to get out so- somehow, you know, to, to, to f- and it would have to force something like some like an organization like the ABC to start reporting. reporting That's right. On it, That's know. right. It would have to be so obvious and, and so there in your face that they just they just couldn't ignore it any longer, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see what you're saying. Look, I, I agree. And I, this is what I've been saying I, I, for a while. I, I don't actually buy into the idea that of the of the kill shot and all this sort of thing. You know, I don't. And part of that is 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 optimism. Um, part of that is 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 the fact that just because they're hiding these injuries and deaths, it doesn't necessarily lead to the conclusion that these things are designed to to kill people. Right? That's mm. one thing. I think that when you when you vaccinate the entire 
global population at once, you're going to have an extraordinary, extraordinarily large number of side effects and you're going to have a large number of, of deaths. I imagine that would be the same if you vaccinated the entire population with a tetanus shot at once, five times in a row, because all these vaccines have... And I'm not advocating for vaccines. I'm just looking for a more um, logical explanation here than depopulation by vaccine. I mean, you know, it, it. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it is. I don't know. But I think what's more likely that's causing the excess deaths is the fact that there were delayed cancer screenings. There were people weren't getting treatment, um, and this is something that I I was reporting on early and talking to people like Toby Young from in the UK as early as uh, late 2020 that we're going to see, and doctors I had on the show, that there is going to be a rebound effect from, for example, if you have stage two pancreatic cancer, stage one pancreatic cancer, and you don't know it because you weren't able to go in and see a doctor for two years, then that's going to have progressed to stage four, most likely. Uh, and, you know, I'm largely speculating here, but it, it seems to me that it's probably a whole range of things, including bad effects to this vaccine. Um, but to answer your, your, your broader question there about will there be a public debate, yeah, I think that, you know, what, what people will start to agree upon, and I'm noticing this in society with... with uh, look, I don't... I spend a lot of time talking to people in real life. You know, <laughs> I go on Twitter to, to basically have some fun. Um, uh, I like to talk to people... I'm one of those annoying people that starts a conversation in the street with people. Um, and, you know, the impression I'm getting from some people I know personally in their 60s and 70s and 80s is that they're noticing that, well, hang on a second, we were told that this thing was the way out of this pandemic, this vaccine, as in it was you know, we have politicians on camera now. The, the, the records are, are a mile long of them saying that, if you get the vaccine, you won't catch COVID. You know, you won't. All these lies. Mm. Uh, people, as they start to regain their senses, because the, the whole pandemic was a was a, a psychological phenomenon too. Um, you can't expose human beings to that much media, that much propaganda, day in, day out, without them slipping into some kind of um, highly irrational thought process. But human beings are rational by nature. We, we, we want to be rational, even if we aren't. And I think you'll start to see more and more people wake up from that, realise that they were duped at the basic level, which is that the vaccines don't stop transmission, they don't stop uh, infection, and they don't necessarily stop death. So they're three very big things that I think the debate will need to be centred around. And yeah, I think that while alternate media is great, it's not going to do the job. It needs to come out through the mainstream. Well, as as we are on the ABC, you know, we we grow up, we grew up watching shows on the ABC like like Rage, Recovery, Couch Potato, and and, and other shows, and and they were all pretty rock and roll as far as I remember. And you know, I read recently that, that Triple J has lost fifty five percent of its listenership since twenty fifteen. And I, you know, I haven't listened for years. Uh, what, what's your view on on the ABC and and, and Triple J? I guess more broadly. Uh, well, you know, I I used to like, you know, I used to listen to Triple J a lot um, in the early two thousands. Uh, I wrote for J Mag for a bit. Um, I know a lot of the 
you know, I mingled and became friends with certain people, um, Rick Hardy, uh, Zan Rowe. But it's what's interesting is that it, it the, the real political nature of these people tr- totally trumps their commitment to to art. And the Triple J essentially just became more and more left wing. It was always left wing. And, and there's nothing, you know, like I often say there's a big difference between lefties and leftists. In a lot of ways, I was a lefty when I was younger. I wasn't politically lefty, but, you know, I, I think being an artist, you kind of have to be. It's just the world that you roll in. Um, but I did notice that there was, it was starting to come out around 20, 2010, 2011. And, and the first thing I noticed was, like I said, I wasn't a political guy. I'm, I'm still not really a political guy. Um, I think we're, we've all been thrown into politics without a choice. Uh, we didn't land on Plymouth Rock. Yeah, Plymouth exactly. Rock landed on us. Absolutely, right? Um, but I noticed that it's funny because they talk about they love bashing men, right? This was the first big thing. And my experience working in that industry was it was totally dominated by women, um, publicists, journalists, band managers, uh, AR. It was all women. And they were they were were starting to lean towards that kind of feminism, which I didn't really even know was a, th- was a thing, right? But as soon as they started kind of hating on men, it became a little bit bizarre to me. And I think you'll find that the ABC is largely, and, and Triple J is largely run by quite militant left-wing women and, and very weak men who think that those women are going to have sex with them. <laughs> right, like that's, that's basically what's going. Work fish. Yeah, right. Okay, I haven't heard that term, but that's good. Um, and, and it's a shame because you know they. If you look at some of the old hottest one hundreds, my God, like just some of the greatest music of the the that era ever written. I, I always think of that song "I'm an Asshole," which I think made Num- it first number one. Yeah, and Dennis Leary. I I I mean, would they even play that today? You know. I don't know. I don't know under what circumstances they would like, because you listen to it. Because even though I know there's there's parody behind it, and like he's still, it's a song that you sort of agree with things he's saying, and that you know, and not. So, I I just think that there's no they they wouldn't be able to have it on any level. They would never ever play even historically. They'd probably have a special message that say. Um, this was number one, and that what do they? That, what what oh, would it say? It was a different time. Back no, no, then. It was, no, it was a different time. They'd say it was wrong then; it's wrong now, <laughs> which is one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like that's, the us- that's the usual disclaimer. You know, pathetic. pathetic. Uh, I kind of stopped listening to it because I just, I just sort of wasn't really into the, the music they they started playing as well. And sort of after that period of there was a really good period of um, artists that came through around like. 2008, 9, 10, you know, MGMT released Oracula Spectacular, um, Vampire Weekend, a lot of kind of really good indie bands, Arctic Monkeys, uh, and that was their kind of, their, their niche. But from there, it kind of just bled into this really indistinguishable kind of trying to be artsy and, and indie. And I just thought the songs were not very good. The bands weren't really doing anything for me. And it all just bled into this kind of like soulless vibe. Mm. Do, and do, do you think that's a yeah. symptom of uh, 
of 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 the people who sort of program that at at Triple J, or or maybe it's a symptom of the way the music industry is now, where I mean, there there are there, there isn't sort of a diversity of labels or, or or people out there that are pushing and and, inv- and and investing in new talent out there because the music industry has shrunk so small. Mm. Well, at Triple J, I mean, Kingsmill, Richard Kingsmill was basically, I don't know if he still is, but he was really the godfather of being the DJ. What he liked got played. Um, Zan had a really big influence there. I think that, yeah, yeah, look, it is reflective of, it's not so much Triple J shaping that music scene. I think you're right. It's the music scene uh, perhaps being mirrored back on to Triple J. So if you look at Laneway festivals, for example, I covered quite a few Laneway festivals um, starting back at when it was in St. Jerome's Laneway there in Melbourne and a really eclectic group of, of great artists, some which were like chart toppers. And I don't know if the idea was that they wanted to be cool. That was, that was, they were too cool for those sort of bands anymore. Like, um, I'm just trying to think of a couple that headlined earlier on. You know, bands like the presets they played. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a it's a good question. I don't really I don't really have the answer. I, I think that these days I, I'm not really attracted to that much new music. I, I, I listen to you know, there's such a vast back catalogue now that mm. could last me 50 lifetimes of listening pleasure that that's kind of, I, I know what I want, I know what I want to go to. That'll often lead me into earlier albums of bands that I hadn't heard of, um, that sort of thing. So one problem I think is, yeah, that as soon as Napster happened, it, it, it was the real watershed moment of when it, how this was going to change, how the game was going to change. Uh, and then, of course, iTunes and Spotify. So now people are flicking through, they're not buying records anymore, they're not queuing up for albums. I can remember queuing up for albums. Uh, it, it's like everything in society. There's fast sort of instant gratification of what's next, what's next, what's next. Mm. And that's going to have a detrimental effect on how bands who are, who don't have a lot of money or a lot of clout that have been around for a long time, that's going to have an impact on how they record and release music. They're going to do it in a more um, hasty manner and they're going to be influenced by elements of the music industry, which is we want something new, we want it now. So, yeah, look, I don't know if that's, if that's really answered the question because it's a tough one. Well, what about the idea – Ricky and I talk about this all the time. We want to know what the hell happened to rock and roll. And, I mean, the sound is gone for starters, but more alarmingly, the spirit is gone. You know, it's, it's absolutely nowhere to be seen. We're, we're, we're confident that if Rage Against the Machine were, were formed now that they would be saying, fuck you, do what they tell you, you know. So we just cannot – uh, fathom the way that there's no um, desire for the for the rock and roll spirit. There's no interest in it. It's uh, as if, you know. I mean, w- just take any. I mean, and when these people, when when the legacy artists weigh in on stuff, you know, no matter what it is, it's 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 always a disappointing. <laughs> it's never what you. They never say what you want them to say. They never say, you know. I mean, and then then don't you ever ask yourself what would Bowie think? What would Bowie think of? The pandemic. What would Bowie think of, you know, mm. people going on about Trump and stuff? I'm sure he'd have a cool answer, you know, that was neither that 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 didn't, you know, uh, play it the way these people. But I think a lot of these artists also have revealed themselves. There's been a great realignment as well. So people who you thought were rock and roll have decidedly 
shown themselves to be very un-rock and roll. Then the people who I thought were, I don't know, like, you know, I jumped on Eric Clapton when he was just doing his acoustic stuff. I didn't know about the early stuff really. So I thought he was just Mr. Tears in Heaven. And he's a bit more <laughs> rock and roll than all of them now that I think about it. <laughs> oh, is, that right? think? is that right? Is that right? Uh, I haven't heard what Clapton's been saying. Well, he was he was one of the um, – he was uh, one of the uh, – you know, anti-vaxxer style uh, rock and rollers. Mm. Oh, really? I, I don't think he was anti-vax. I think he was he was anti-mandate. Anti-mandate. Yes, anti-mandate. That, that's me besmirching poor. Kurt's and name. and he, I think I think he came out at the time when when some artists and some bands were saying that they were only going to perform in venues where people had to show their vax certificate. And I think he came out and said that's that's bullshit. Like anyone can come to my. And he was slammed in the press everywhere. He was a punchline. I remember yeah. that. Like and also, also he had quite a bad reaction to to the vaccine himself. So, right. that's sort of yeah. Look, I think I think what I think what needs to happen is that, and maybe it is starting to happen. Uh, I mean, you see what's happening with Nick Nick Cave, and that doesn't surprise me because this guy is he's a he's a true individual. He's a true artist. He's not. I don't think he gives a shit if people don't come to his show because of they're offended by what he says. He knows he does it. For, for for the art he, he's a proper artist and other bands will need to start doing this they're going to have to have some some balls because essentially what's happened is not everyone was afraid the people that do have opinions like look what happened to kanye right uh the people that do have opinions they're, they're just destroyed and we kind of need to see more what i would like to see i, I love blink 182 i've liked them since i was very small and they're back on tour now you know these guys are like in their late 40s and they're up there playing at the moment they're playing like twenty-five thousand seat arenas and they're talking about like dick jokes and incest they're going back to their roots <laughs> nothing to do with politics just music yeah. they played at coachella as a surprise get a uh, surprise artist to launch this tour and did they have a an album called take off your pants and jacket they did, <laughs> <laughs> and, and also um, Enema of the State, yes, yes. Of the state, yes. and du- and Dude Ranch. Yes, yeah. uh, I think these guys. You know, I would love to see. I think that what will solve all of this is Oasis getting back together, and Liam Liam Gallagher yes. just calling it how it is mm. in front of Wembley Stadium. Like you know, you can fuck off with your woke fucking bullshit. Yeah. And the crowd, the whole Wembley Stadium just going nuts. Maybe I think we do need uh, sort of a, a grizzled uh, sort of wild bunch sort of like them to get together to save us from the nightmare. Like they need to ride on down to say, we're, we're here, it's okay, you know. Like we're going to bring sure. back Britpop, we're going to bring back for this moment and, and it's going to be just enough to break the, break the dam. I think so. I think that's going to happen across a, um, many different aspects of, of the cultural landscape and music is key music and comedy is where it needs it. so we need we need the ricky gervais of rock and roll right someone who is so confident in and in a good way has so much faith in themselves as a good intentioned artist that they don't care what people think and Cause get look, offended because you know how it goes look at macy gray look doesn't matter who it is like macy gray is macy gray she gets on the te- on the telly and says something about 
you know, I'm 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 circumspect of, of trans issues or whatever, uh, however she put it. And then it was just like the clock was ticking, and we we're all just looking at our watches, and then just going again, three, two, one, apology. The next day, and there it was, and it was just yeah, like yeah. Again, she looked. She kind of looked like um, Fan Bing Bing or Jack Ma, like when they returned from their re-education. Uh, you know, <laughs> trips like they're sort of frightened. Totally, they were pale and frightened, and they're like oh. LeBron James. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> oh, I love the Chinese Communist Party. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, I, I'm a I'm I'm a total unknown. Um, so, but some of the stuff I say on Twitter, like if I had if I was a household name, uh, there'd be the outrage mob would be calling for apologies left, right, and, and I would just thrive at the opportunity to tell them to fuck off. You know, I would, there's no way in hell I would ever apologize because I know exactly where my intentions come from in my heart. I have enough friends in my life and family in my life to just not be ever in any way affected by what a bunch of um, slimy propagandists in the media want to try and create about you. I think that would be the greatest, I think that would be the greatest thrill, you know, I'd love to do that. I'd love to be in a position where I could tell these people to fuck off because, but you know, I'm, a, I'm a, like I said, I'm, 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 re, I'm a relative nobody. I'd like to see other people that are somebody that, and when I, what I mean by that, of course, is obviously in a very superficial way. Uh, a lot of people know who you are. You're going to attract headlines. Um, way too many people apologize. I don't know why anyone would ever apologize to these people. It's yeah. just but it's already that concept over as well, is, though. It's over by the time, like, we, you've got to know. It's that line from Breaking Bad when he said, you know, it, when Hank tells him, he's, it's a, you know, the, he says, the bad guy says, oh, what was it? Walt that says, you know, this guy. Oh, no, Hank says he's, this guy's already decided what he's going to do, yeah. Walt, yeah. you know, uh, to the, about mm. the bad guy. So it's, yes. already, it's already decided. Like, like the, if you're, the apology is just um, the garnish, you know. Mm. If you're going to lose your job, whatever it is. You're going to lose... Yeah. Whatever sponsorships you have, I mean, look, you're going to lose it. Look at the Don't guy from uh, the banjo player from Mumford and Sons. You know, he tweeted <laughs> that that he he read Andy No's book on Antifa and he thought it was an interesting read, and that was enough. <laughs> that was enough. <laughs> that was enough. And that then was you enough. know he had to apologise, and then he uh, well actually he he apologised, but then he reneged on the apology when when it all went south anyway. Which you know yeah, as yeah. You said, he's a John, good guy. I actually got on the piss with him in Melbourne, and uh, he wouldn't remember it, but it was after Laneway. Um, Oh wow! And I was I was filming, and I interviewed a bunch of artists at that festival, and uh, you know you always get the loose characters that somehow end up together at the end of the night. Uh, and that was uh, I, I was certainly well, I was certainly one of them, yeah. And um, yeah, he was a good guy. But, but imagine telling him back then. Imagine time traveling and looking him in the eye, and he's and he's like, "How you doing, man?" And then you go, hey, Make you're sure going you to no. get cancelled for reading a book. Um, yeah. yeah, one day you'll be you know? one day one day you'll be um, demonised by the world media for uh, essentially a book review. Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> when people don't even read, that's the irony. No one reads. Yeah. And yet he was cancelled for reading. Really, mm. we should be promoting him. <laughs> yeah, that's right. He's a he's a treasure. Uh, mm. And anyway, this is exactly why I instantly gravitated towards Trump and why I'm completely, uh, my opinions on him have completely uh, unwavered, you know, I haven't changed on them. I thought you were going to say for a second, and that's why I bought a few of his NFTs. 
<laughs> oh, yeah. I don't even know what an NFT is. Otherwise, I'd probably buy one. They're cool. Yeah. They're my, they're my, if you've seen the pictures of, of it's him, like, you know, looking like a superhero. And I've seen that. those. Yeah, yeah, it's hilarious. Yeah, yeah. I like them, like, fairly unironically too. So, it's okay. People don't understand. He's, he's got a great sense of humor. He's a very funny man. But he is the bravest person in this entire culture war simply by virtue of the fact that he was Donald Trump, that asshole, right? <laughs> like, I, I didn't know much about the guy apart from, you know, you're fired. His appearance on Home Alone too. That was great. But <laughs> just that he was this kind of, I had a very superficial understanding of him. I used to like him when he went on Letterman and Conan and stuff. He used to give good interviews. They loved him. But he was always like, you know, talking in the first per third person, or first person rather, third person, you know, Trump this, Trump that. And I just thought this guy's classic. But when he came down that escalator in 2015 and said, uh, you know, they're bringing drugs, they're bringing crime, they're rapists, and some I imagine are good people. <laughs> I, to me, I just went, like, because I, I, I don't get offended. I don't know. It, it's almost like there was this energy amongst people in Australia and America and Western society that that there triggered people. It's almost like it split the atom. And I just saw, the same with COVID, I saw all these people around me, half people around me going to complete meltdown mode about Trump. And I just went, that's an entirely accurate statement. He's talking about illegal immigration that's crossing the border. Like, it's, it's true. These are not people that are coming across like other Mexicans that are and South Americans and Central Americans that are going through the process. These are people that are, are crossing illegally. And what he said was accurate. So then they turned that into... Trump said, Trump calls Mexican racist. I'm like, no, he didn't. <laughs> it's not what he said at all. And, and that's what it started. I was like, okay, I actually have someone now in a, in a kind of uh, barbarian kind of general sense, you know, like a general of an army who is able to fight what I've found so insidious for quite a few years, starting from back when we were talking about the seeing this pattern in the ABC and Triple J with this very aggressive feminism and stuff and the, the, the media and political correctness and stuff. And when he, just refu when he didn't apologise and just doubled down and kept doubling down and doubling down, I was like, this guy's a, he's an animal. <laughs> this is exactly what's required right now in the world to stop what I saw as being really the greatest threat to to our institutions, to our, our norms. And that was this very pervasive ideology that was coming through the, the media, through the press, through these people that, you know, we, we now know are very hardcore leftists. And that fight is still present right now. And Trump is still there. It, it's just a bonus to me that, you know, I've, I've written at length about his his policy achievements, which are just extraordinary. If you take away the, f the six and a half years, or let's say during his, his term, where basically 20, 24 hours, seven days a week, negative coverage of the guy. Mm. It's all it was, negative coverage. People got, the same thing happened to people that happened with COVID. It, there was this mass formation of hatred and they couldn't explain why. And when we talk about imperfect vessels carrying out important jobs uh, i see trump as that you know well that that trump derangement syndrome that i think you're you're, you're describing there i mean it just it, it hasn't just infiltrated like 
you know, ultra left wing activists who who don't read Andy No's book on Antifa. It's gone as far as to get inside the head of Sam Harris, who is a very intelligent uh, writer, speaker, podcaster, and spiritualist. It's, yeah, you know, meditation guru, guru, spiritualist. Uh, what what is he? He's a neuroscientist. Neuroscientist. I mean, he his brain has been broken by Donald Trump, you know, and and yes, I'm I'm fascinated by that. Yeah, he broke a lot of brains. Um, I think that guys like Sam Harris, I don't entirely agree that they are spiritualists. I think that when someone like in this particular case, Sam, it talks very well on the topic of of mindfulness meditation. You know, there's a very um, there's a selfish mode to that right he's doing that to to make himself clearer to make himself better so when you get these guys like harris that are militant are not atheists but anti-theists they they miss because they, they shut that off so definitively they miss um a part of the fullness of of human nature religion and spirituality is not a new thing right this is many many atheists or, or secularists will say that we are religious beings uh, to some extent. We, we require this. But it, it doesn't complete the wisdom of these people. It leaves something closed off. And I think that that can lead to, in Sam Harris's case, some very irrational opinions and behaviour and animosity towards human beings. I, I've always... I'm not a massive fan of, of, of Harris. I, I, when I say that, it's not that I don't like him. I think he's a very brilliant man, but... He's not someone who I would listen to um, to become uh, to, to improve on my my lack of wisdom in certain areas. Um, well, I think that one other thing that also similar with Bill Maher. Well, I was just going to say the other thing that strikes no, right, me is, is he has a total, uh, you know, lack of of humour. You know, he's got no sense of humour whatsoever. You know, he's just a very stern American guy, and I think a lot a lot of the people miss the humor in donald trump a lot of what he's saying i say his quotes all the time to it, people it's, i say you know locker room talk yeah i'm not proud of it but these are the things that people <laughs> say you know like or uh, of course uh there are i say i say i said this to trigger some people once i said oh well, there were good there were fine people on both sides you know or you just throw the little thing throw them in these little these great little references little rocket man you know <laughs> pocahontas <laughs> Which is one of my favourites. That's the yes, greatest like thing he's one, ever said. Yeah. That's 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 the greatest yeah. thing he's ever said. Have you yeah. seen the wicket? Have, have you seen the Wikipedia page that's entirely dedicated towards um, every nickname he's given people? <laughs> no, I do need to read it. Oh yeah, I'd encourage you listeners to. Well, he retired Crooked Hillary, so he could give it to Crooked. He could rename Joe from Sleepy Joe to Crooked Joe. He should do Creepy Joe. Yeah, he should. Maybe he has uh, the, the hair I, sniffing. I, it started out with creepy, and then he said. Um, you know, a lot of people are calling him creepy, Joe, but you can't say that. That's a little bit too, little bit too mean. So we're going to go with sleepy. <laughs> we'll go with sleepy. Um, but he does change his material. Like he's a that you talk about him being a sort of a funny guy comedian. Like he does, he takes his material on the road. He tries out a lot of different stuff. He changes <laughs> it. He retires it, like Seinfeld retired his old shit. Absolutely. You know? yeah. So I mean, he, he, this guy knows what he's doing. He does. He's the greatest entertainer on the planet right now. Um, and when you peel back the facade of, of the mainstream media, 
you find that the support for this guy is just insane. Like he could drop a pin on any county in America, almost any county, and there'd be 30,000 people turn up to a rally. Uh, you got to remember this guy had the number one reality TV show in America for 12 years as well, right? Yeah. And, and, and he's a man with a sense of humor, you know. I mean, he wouldn't go on, you know, he wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't make these cameos everywhere that he did in, in you know, films like, like Home Alone 2 and, you know, a, a bunch of others. He wouldn't be doing the Pizza Hut stuff or the, I mean, Trump steaks. I mean, that, that's hilarious. I mean, Brilliant. I mean, he's got a sense of humor, you know. He says that his wineries are the greatest wineries in the world and he's never had a glass of wine in his life. <laughs> <laughs> Is he, he doesn't drink, does he? Never had a drink, never had a smoke. Yeah. Loves his Diet Coke. Well, the, the question on our lips then, Nick, is get out your crystal ball. Come on. 2024, what are we talking about here? Well, you know, I was talking to someone today about this and it, it's not – I'm afraid my crystal ball is not necessarily that uh, optimistic in the short term. If you, if you look at what uh, everything they've done, Trump will tell you, Russia, 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 impeachment hoax number one, impeachment hoax number two, all these things they threw at him, all these lies, all these – attempts to get him out they're going to they're not going to stop uh I, I can't say definitively but i think you'd have to get your head checked to think that joe biden got 81 million votes in that election um i can't see a path towards a fair and honest general election in 2024 uh, i think that the people that want to prevent trump from doing what he's doing and the reason why trump is such a threat is not so much just the Democratic Party, they're just, at the upper echelons, these people are just completely the most corrupt politicians in US history and they're aligned to global powers. So the the, the, the similarities between the uh, American Revolutionary War where they gained their independence from the British monarchy who were really the globalists at that time, I think that, look, I hope that, here's what I hope, and then I'll tell you what I think might happen. I hope that by the time 2024 comes, that a lot of what has been purposefully buried and hidden, like all the uh, foreign dealings that Biden had with, I mean, this is all just patently true now, that foreign dealings he had with a number of really bad global actors, you know, the Chinese Communist Party. Bad hombres. Uh, bad, they were bad hombres, yeah, exactly. Um <laughs> Ukraine, right? I mean, that's just a basket case of corruption. Uh, the the weaponization of the DOJ. If that stuff is still being protected by the media come the election, then I, I can't see how there would be a fair election. Uh, what what I think might happen is you might see Americans having to fight again for their independence from these globalists and... The similarities between in the late late 18th century between the um, the constitutionalists or the uh, these people were largely well organised militias that stockpiled guns. That's how they won. That's how they got their independence. So in America right now, you notice they're really pushing this narrative about MAGA being dangerous and right wing. By these these militias that exist are very well disciplined. They're capable of taking on a tyrannical government. You don't hear a lot about them, but they're well organised. They're there. There's an enormous amount of weaponry in America for the purpose of this. You know, so every time a school, 
a mass shooting happens, what happens straight away? You know, they start calling for gun control. So the globalists who are, you know, who are the same kind of internationalists that we now are starting to see more in the, cl- uh, in the clear of day, World Economic Forum, uh, the UN, banking cartels, they know that they need to, and this is, a hist- this is a story that runs through every single empire, is that you need to disarm the people if you're going to do that, if you're going to if you're going to take that control and you know it was Machiavelli before all else be armed uh so I think that there's a possibility that we're going to see some sort of a a serious conflict in that country I hope that doesn't happen I hope that the media to go back to your early point I hope that the media wakes up and starts to hit a point where they just have to report the truth and I think the only way that that's going to happen is if it can be proven that the 2020 election um, was a complete sham because if that's not proven, then I I don't see how they won't just rig it again to get Biden or whoever it is back in. Do you think Trump will campaign on that? Do you think he will maintain that, you know, the election was stolen? Because that uh, I've heard commentators say that that, that, that that is something that could potentially hurt his his run and that he should sort of leave that rhetoric behind and and and, and focus on the on, on the future yeah I don't think those commentators know what they're talking about I don't think that those commentators have fully appreciated what these people are capable of doing uh, to, to go from uh, when I spoke to Kari Lake recently you know I said it, it blows my mind that in this country, there are still Tony Abbott, someone right, who, who just cannot wrap his head around the idea that an election in America could be fraudulent. Totally fine to believe it could be fraudulent in a second world socialist country, but they shut themselves off to that. It's almost like they're afraid of, of entering that because they don't want to be seen as a conspiracy theorist of some sort. But if you take the time to look at, say, Kari Lake's case, the evidence is just overwhelming but you still have the talking heads like Piers Morgan up there saying you need to stop talking about this you know it's hurting you and she's saying no I don't and I won't and Trump's the same if you look at all of his rallies everything he says to date it was a phony election it was rigged he he hasn't stopped that rhetoric at all and I think that he he will continue that rhetoric because he believes it uh, and I believe it I don't think it will hurt him. I, I, I think that we'll start to see a bit of a floodgate. Like, I think the Hunter Biden thing is, is crucial to this, which is fascinating because it's almost like that's the, the twig that's holding the dam at the moment. Yeah, it's interesting because if, if, you know, if, if, if any of the Trump children did half of the stuff that we know that, that Hunter Biden did, you know, I mean, if, if the, the media coverage would be relentless, you know, there'd be court cases, the whole bit, you know. Whereas the all the other stuff, I mean, it's too big to get into now, but everything attached to that, the fact that um, the, the the evidence of the laptop was deemed, you know, to be uh, inauthentic or fraudulent or whatever, and that, that one of the oldest newspapers in America was was banned from even mm. talking about it. They were... Yeah. They were they, the account was shut down. You weren't allowed to privately message this story yeah, to crazy. people. Privately message the story. Mm. So, I mean, it's so. But then, I mean, it's a it's a riddle wrapped in an enigma, wrapped in a mystery. Because 
the, you think about the Twitter files comes out and then the, then Schellenberger and, and Taibbi go and sit down and talk about it and then Democrats say the maddest stuff to their face, you know, about what about how they're basically, um, you know, right-wing crazies, criminals that need to be locked up, mm. whatever. I mean, it's just hard to get your head around the, le- the levels of... I mean, this is an Oliver Stone movie. We are living through an Oliver Stone movie right now. Yeah, these are some of the, the worst liars in... Politic, modern political history like these they they have had to stick you know like the term pathological liar where they, they essentially cannot get out of that lie and everything starts building off that into a bigger lie and a bigger lie and a bigger lie and a bigger lie that's what's happened uh with 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 trump and everything around trump they have to stop trump um uh, I, I don't know why people don't you know, I, i'm not an american i'm not even a, i'm not a, certainly not a republican and I wouldn't even really consider myself a conservative. I, I just consider myself someone who uh, looks at things case by case and tries to uh, use my rational faculty as best as possible. And it's very clear that they've been trying to stop Trump from day one because Trump is trying to save the American constitutional republic, whereas these other people are trying to destroy the constitution because that's what separates America from every other country in the world that's why it's the most powerful free society in the world there's never been anything like it and that's what the american revolution was about when they won that independence from britain they created that constitutional republic which then essentially opened the door to all forms of liberty and individual rights and 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 everything so all of these nefarious kind of global entities and individuals like schwab and Gates and these people that have a different idea for how they want the the world to move forward, they have to get rid of Trump. And it's just such, it's so incredible that Trump, out of all the people, right, to think about it, go back to him appearing on Letterman maybe 20 years ago, being a bit of a, a goofball, that this guy is the one that is standing in the way of that happening. So, my opinion on it, like all these things, like people talking about DeSantis and RFK Jr., it's fine, but it's nonsense. Uh, it's it's all about Trump because they can't beat him. He's the most pig-headed like fighter, you know, brutal fighter. Mm. You think about the you think about the kind of the the individual of Trump. Uh, could, could, do you know anyone that could handle what he's handled? <laughs> no. You know what I mean? Like no. it's extraordinary. Yeah. And he's an extraordinary man for that. Uh, we've all got flaws, and I'm not interested in his, in, in some woman accusing him of uh, rape 30 years ago, uh, because how many people have come out and done that? Uh, all these smear campaigns, all the lies. It just makes me like the guy even more. And, and I really do. Just to finish on that point, I really do think that the 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 future of the West is very contingent on what happens in 2024. Well, well, I'd like to see a Trump-DeSantis team, you know, DeSantis come in as vice president. I think that would be an unstoppable move, I think. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I, I can't really... I, I'm not... I, I'm 50-50 that Trump and DeSantis are running some sort of counter-operation here because you've got to get, you've got to get smart, right? One thing that conservatives fail at time and time again, especially in this country, is trying to play by the rules of the left. Uh, 
I promise I'm not a racist, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah, that doesn't work. Um, you have to find a way to outsmart them at their own game. And one thing that I noticed, which was extraordinary during the midterms, was that the establishment Republicans, you might say the rhinos, and their um, their favoured media puppets in, in, in Fox, and other, they were the ones that were talking up this, it's going to be a red wave, it's going to be a red tsunami, it's going to be, you know, all this sort of thing. And they were building up this narrative, which is instantly a red flag for me. And when that midterm was over, they quickly popped that bubble and said um, it was a red trickle and it was all Trump's fault, right? So what you saw was all these many people who had been alleged die I'm talking about Americans here, and some Australians who diehard Trump fans, instantly, the minute Trump said one fairly innocuous tweet about how he got more, more votes than DeSantis in um, Florida or something, people just, like a psyop, they just flipped and abandoned Trump and blamed him for so many things. And if you look at DeSantis's history, he's been very supportive of Trump. So I don't know what's going on there. There's two possible options for me is that DeSantis is playing them or, or he's potentially an establishment guy, which doesn't make a lot of sense. Well, perhaps, Nick, you can give us the final word on this evening's wide-ranging wide range, wide discussion. I think you sort of hinted at it a second ago. You said that, uh, you know, the the future of the West hinges on 2024. Yeah, look, I think that, you know, I've just released an essay on my Substack page. It's a it's a 15,000-word essay, which I'm going to re-release in a, in a more serialized form so it's digestible. Um, and it's something I've been working on for a while, which is, the striking similarities and characteristics that are found in the rise and fall of, of the previous 10 empires and the lifespan of those empires and the very crucial stages that led to the downfall. And, and one of these is once a country becomes very wealthy, it starts to become very decadent and decadence has some very bad symptoms and a lot of those symptoms are people abandon their the desire for uh, you know civil service and for doing things for their community rather than for themselves. And when we look at what's happened in America in the last since they entered World War One and Two, they were very crucial moments in the in the beginning of the kind of decadent downfall of America and, and arguably the West, certainly in Australia. Very selfish, very selfish nation now. Very, very, very dumb nation too. We've been dumbed down significantly. Uh, if the West is to survive, it needs to rid itself of this emergent order, and that's this push towards dissolving nation states, in particular America, and replacing that with this kind of big global view that there's going to be one big harmonious utopian socialism. Uh, run by organisations and corporations like the UN and the WEF. To me, these are very anti-human things. Uh, nationalism is, is a far better option because it actually promotes and fosters c culture, right? It fosters good culture. And you see this with China. They're, they're very... China is very powerful now because they're kind of entering their... They haven't hit their high noon stage. They're entering the stage of 
of building a very strong China based on China's culture. They, they honour that culture. They respect it. They don't want to let this woke stuff bleed into China. They, they work very hard to remove that. You'll see this by the recent policies they put in place to kind of remove um, emasculate men from... Girl, girly men. Yeah, yeah, because they know they're smart. It's, this is not, a, this is not a, a mean thing to do. This is a, a smart thing to do based on understanding human history in its entirety and understanding how great empires have collapsed and the similarities are there. And, you know, one positive is, I would say, that when you, when you look at the fall of these empires, eventually there is then a period of, of prosperity starts to happen again, you know, whether it's by, say, the Romans being sacked um, or whether it's by economic factors, people start to get down to the roots of, of humanity and what it means to be a human. And all of these things like, I mean, look what we're arguing about, LGBTQ+, it's, it's just nonsense. It has nothing to do with humanity of what we are as humans and how we care and love and create culture and create community and create a world where our virtues, right, good virtues, um, as illustrated very well by the Greeks, you know, eudaimonia, the good life, how to live a virtuous life. Later that became updated through the teachings of Christ. And Christianity is very, you don't have to be a Christian, but it's very crucial to having a strong West. So the things that Trump talks about and campaigns about and is unrelenting on is uh, America first under God. Now this sounds, it doesn't sound very cool or edgy to people, but I think when you see the alternative throughout history, it's a lot worse. So... 2024 is big. Uh, I don't have a crystal ball, but, you know, my faith is that we will find a way through this because you look around the internet, so many people are awake to these things now, right? There's been such an explosion of knowledge in areas where for the past couple of hundred years it was concealed. So, yeah, I guess my final word would be just whether it's religious faith or whether it's other faith, you just got to have faith that it's going to be okay. It's the best way to live your life. Well, in terms of exploding of information, uh, where can people find your information, Nick? Oh, that's a smooth segue. Thank you, Roger. Uh, yeah, so you can see my work at the, themodernenquirer.com and that takes you to the, to the Substack page. Uh, and also you can find me, and my podcast is available on, um, I guess, pretty much all of the the platforms uh, and that's the Nick Holt podcast and I also do a reasonable reasonable amount of shit talking at Real Nick Holt on Twitter. Uh, do encourage people to listen to Nick's podcast as well uh, which you mentioned uh, very Nick's got a way of, of coming at his guests in a very interesting way but his recent one with Carrie Lake was unlike anything uh, I'd seen her do with other people so oh, thank uh, you great thank work. you um, but thanks, Nick, in general, just for being so generous with your time and uh, and um, and chatting with us about um, a lot of different, a lot of cool stuff, uh, you know, uh, mm. from the edges of, of these crazy times. Oh, it's been a pleasure. I really uh, feel honoured to be on on the show. I think, like I said earlier, it's 
you guys are onto something good and I think it's it's only a matter of time before it takes off. Thanks, Nick. Thanks, Nick. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the New Flesh Podcast. If you like our work, please consider rating us on Apple Podcasts or even writing us a review. It really does help the show reach a wider audience. We'll be back with another episode next week. Until then, long live the New Flesh.